I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Alex Russell at Google. Alex is a senior staff engineer at Google and is an engineer on the Chrome Web Platform team. Most recently, he helped design and lead the team that was responsible for developing progressive web apps, or PWAs. In this episode, Alex and I talk a lot about what exactly is a progressive web app and what are the technical requirements for one, how the idea for PWAs got started, and why Sushi and a presentation at Auburn are somewhat responsible for their name, and what it means that tech players like Microsoft, Apple, Samsung, and others have adopted progressive web apps. And make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about mobile differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Alex. So I'm really excited to talk to you all about progressive web apps and really where the future of web is headed. So for all of my listeners that aren't familiar with PWAs, can you just give us a really good understanding of what a progressive web app really is? Sure. I think in a nutshell, you can sort of fast forward to the end. You could just say, imagine that all the apps on your phone uh, and increasingly on your desktop were just web apps. That is to say, they actually are web apps. You build them and deploy them on the web, uh, but they have that deep system integration. What's the difference between where we have been and what's required to be there? And that that space in the middle, uh, that's what we work on. Uh, and that's what uh, Genesis of Progressive Web Apps has been. No, I think that's a great understanding and explanation of them. I think when I tell people what a PWA is, one of the things that I say is, think about what you can do a lot on native mobile, but it's delivered on the web. It's kind of like the best of both worlds coming together. Yeah, so there, <laughs> there's kind of a, you know, an organizational structure thing that bleeds into this conversation where PWA technology sort of isn't core web platform technology at some level. It's a bunch of capabilities. One of those capabilities is um, a set of metadata that lets us generate a high quality icon on your home screen. One of those capabilities is the ability to work offline. Um, and then there's a whole sort of follow on host of things that you would want to do in a, in a sort of a capable application platform for mobile um, that you traditionally haven't been able to do on the web. And so um, we kind of view all of those things as being in scope. Our effort has, you know, this multi-year effort has been basically to take that as a to-do list and burn it down. So I know you just mentioned some of the kind of like technical requirements of a PWA. When you think about kind of like the key characteristics from a technology and functional requirement standpoint, what are the most important ones for you that make a PWA different than maybe what we have thought about as web apps in the past? So we have worked backwards. I have worked backwards uh, from the user experience. So I think there's a question that we don't ask ourselves enough as web developers, which is, what is it about mobile apps that's better? Right? I think there's a lot of um, identity bound up with technology. If we choose to be web developers, that means we choose this set of technologies and therefore uh, we tend not to be as honest as maybe we should be about their benefits and their costs, uh, both to ourselves and to users. And so looking a little bit past that envelope and sort of trying to stretch ourselves and into an uncomfortable dimension and ask, okay, is there something there that really is more satisfying about a native application in a lot of cases? And what's the technical delta between those things got us to a set of, I'd say, key experience properties that we would like to maintain in PWAs. So for instance, when I tap on the home screen icon for any native app in any operating system where I've you know, made an explicit install step, it never fails to load. Maybe it doesn't actually do anything. Like maybe it's not a well-built application and it didn't cache any data, but it never fails to actually load. 
Whereas the web, our experience of that is that it can frequently fail to load. That's a very large user experience difference. So we've kind of framed this as a, as a set of hurdles that uh, certain websites have to pass before we, at least in Chrome, consider your site to be installable. And so that's kind of the, the basis. So on the one hand, I mentioned that sort of high quality metadata that lets us generate something that would look as though it deserved to belong inside of your uh, home screen application list. On the other hand, uh, working reliably, um, starting all the time, every time. Uh, and, and that is to say, not just on in, when you're offline, but on flaky connections. Those are user experience differences between traditional web applications and native applications that we think are important enough that uh, to kind of earn your spot on the home screen, you have to be at least that tall to ride the ride. I know you mentioned kind of flaky connections. One of the things that I've heard about progressive web apps was this idea that it can be really beneficial and really low to no connectivity, especially in some places in the world where connectivity is really a challenge. How much of that played into how you guys thought about really developing the framework for PWAs? Yeah, uh, it's a big part of it. Um, I sort of not to not to dwell too much on the history, but we started building some of this technology that didn't require UI uh, first. So service workers are this technology that uh, we designed, which allows you to make your website work offline uh, or on flaky connections. That is to say, make it work all the time after the after the first visit. And so, because it is a key tell, uh, it's a difference that you can smell <laughs> as a user. Um, between a native app and a, and a web app, we started working on that technology first. And so those technologies, again, are sort of inspired by the user experience need. Uh, we want users to have a good time in things that are of the web, that are on the web, the, that also happen to be deeply integrated into the OS. That is to say, again, imagine fast forwarding to the end of the story, right? Where we come to a place where the web is as successful on mobile as it has been on desktop. Um, I don't know about you, but I spend a, a very large proportion of my time when I'm not, e even these days, sometimes when I am coding, uh, when, when I'm not running a compiler, <laughs> uh, a good chunk of my time is spent in a browser. And that's not where we're at on mobile today. And so the question is, what's the delta? What's the difference between that and where we'd like to be? And if we get to that world, is the web a net worse experience? That is to say, if your operating system is mostly populated by web applications, are you going to want it less? Um, I think that's not a benefit to users. We should we should get to the place where users have all the upsides of the web that it should be safer, it should be faster potentially, that it should uh, not invade your privacy nearly as much, that you shouldn't have to sign away the keys to the kingdom up front, um, that you should be able to uh, make affirmative choices about who's doing what, that uh, you should get an auto-updating runtime, that applications shouldn't be massive, that they shouldn't be predating your storage space. All those things should be continual benefits that the web delivers, but you shouldn't have to give up all the nice things that you like about native apps to get there. And so if we got to a place where there was an operating system that was mostly peopled or mostly populated by PWAs, uh, would it still work it like you would expect it to? I think that's maybe the question that I think we should be focused on. And so what's the difference again between where we are now and where we want to be to get there? So one of the things I've heard is that you and your wife came up with the name for Progressive Web Apps. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? Yeah, uh, Francis Berman, my, my partner and wife, uh, is a product manager now at Netlify. And uh, she and I, you know, we spent time in the JavaScript mines in our youths. <laughs> and, you know, we 
spent a lot of time both as web developers and programmers, but also sort of as people thinking about this, this pile of questions together, not, not to bring my work home too much, but <laughs> her best mate is Jake Archibald, who uh, also helped uh, design the service worker spec with me and a bunch of other people. So, you know, it's, it's, a, very, it's a very small group of people who uh, were thinking hard about these problems in London in 2012. But um, the baseline for um, the conversation has always been, imagine we could get to a place uh, where web apps can do all this stuff. And then, so fast forward three years to 2015, we had built and shipped it all. We shipped the ability to add PWAs to the home screen. We shipped the ability for uh, web apps to work offline. We shipped the ability for web apps to do push notifications, even when Chrome was closed. So those were kind of a big deal capabilities. And then we would have this sort of set of conversations over and over and over again, both with partners um, at Google, but also with uh, friends uh, and sort of trying to describe this, this set of things together. And so we would we would have to say, you know, web apps that you can add to your home screen or installable web apps. And then people would ask the obvious question, well, why aren't they all installable? And then you'd be like, uh. And so you'd have to get into the long-winded explanation. You couldn't get to uh, the moniker that people could hang their expectations off of. Um, and so having done that for about six months, uh, in the middle of 2015, we we kind of realized that we needed some sort of a name for it, partially because <laughs> I was invited to speak at a conference in Melbourne. Uh, John also was putting together uh, web directions code, and uh, I needed to talk about this stuff, and I didn't have a way to describe it. So uh, we went out for sushi and just wrote down all the attributes, and then started taking apart the adjectives and rearranging them together. And then this was the least worst alternative. Now I got to say we're not particularly proud <laughs> of it being kind of a long-winded thing, but the hope has always been that it's um it's an engineering uh, brand that it's not really a uh, it's not really an end user brand. It's a grouping of pre-existing things, service workers, web app manifests, push notifications, added home screen, all those sorts of things. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned it was never meant to be kind of like an end user name because eventually I think, right, we think of it as web apps, progressive web apps, native mobile apps, and I think the consumer just sees them as apps. Yeah, that's my experience of it. And I I, I can't imagine, you know, <laughs> I think back to this moment where we, uh, uh, when Chrome first launched, there was a video that, that I think the the initial marketing team for Chrome did, where they went around sort of person on the street interview, and they just asked people, what's a browser, right? And Chrome was not, the, <laughs> was, was by no means, um, an, you know, it was a new browser, it was a browser that you could choose in opposition to other browsers, it wasn't, you know, a new thing in the market. And people who were answering these questions spent most of their day in a browser. And so the, the lack of vocabulary, I wouldn't say lack of technical acumen, um, I think people actually fundamentally understand the difference between web content and a browser. But the lack of vocabulary is is reasonable, right? You shouldn't have to teach people the parts of the body um, and how uh, the entire anatomy works in order to get them to do a little bit of exercise. In the same way that we shouldn't have to teach people the constituent parts of an operating system to allow them to, I don't know, uh, check on their bank account balance, right? No, I think that's a great point. So I know you obviously were at Google when kind of PWAs really came to life. And since, you know, 2015, when they were first introduced, we've seen Microsoft, Apple, Firefox really start to adopt PWAs and their operating systems. So can you tell me a little bit about what that has been like for you as kind of really being one of the first people to kind of bring this idea and concept forward? 
So first, I want to give credit where it's due. Uh, Jeff Bertoft at Microsoft was one of the first people who I ever had conversations with around this sort of, at the time, very subversive notion, both inside of Microsoft and inside of the Chrome team at Google. Uh, the idea that the web was going to be the platform of the future, which maybe sounds surprising uh, given that I was working on Chrome at the time, but the idea that the web was going to be the platform of the future uh, for these sorts of experiences was at least a fringe view. You know, Microsoft had XAML and Windows 8.1 or Windows 8 uh, application model and WinJS, those things were all happening. And uh, inside of Chrome, the Chrome Apps platform had launched and there was a second version underway. And the idea was sort of that if you needed those set of extended capabilities, um, well, it was going to take a long time to get them done inside of the web. So why not just use this other platform, which has all the reach that Chrome does? And Jeff and I were all sort of, we caught each other on the sidelines of conference at some point and had a conversation, I think it was somewhere in San Francisco, about this pile of things that we could maybe do together. Uh, and... It was important that they be small and that they'll be incremental. And I think it was important to me that they be compatible with the web um, as we have it, right? So one of the things that's deep but seems shallow about the difference between PWAs and other platforms has been that with other platforms, you have to change your deployment model. So this has, this has fractal implications. If you can't update your app whenever you want to push, Right. Every time, every second, every minute, um, suddenly your engineering velocity goes down, your design velocity goes down, your iteration rate starts to stall. You wind up having to wait on App Store reviews or some sort of automated process to tell you whether or not your thing actually went. Uh, you stop being able to have that control R sort of ability to iterate and to modify content. This has implications for experimental frameworks, for logging, for all the sorts of technologies that uh, the web has come to embody, both positively and negatively. And that meant that when you wanted to build something with these quote unquote web technologies, uh, but deploy them to these other models, you had to kind of package them up, put them in a bundle. Um, and then you removed that superpower, that ability to deploy almost instantly. You wind up with this bundle that's distributed out of band that users have to discover separately. They have to make a, a large upfront choice to install it through this out of band discovery mechanism because it isn't tried, safe to try before you buy. The security model of these other application platforms, because they are so powerful and they've got such a relatively mature uh, security model, has meant that it requires, uh, historically required at least, a, a large upfront user choice and that mediator to tell you what you're going to get before you ever got there. And so those things seem small technically, like you could still make a native app with Cordova or PhoneGap. Uh, make it out of HTML, JavaScript, and CSS, right? But people don't make web apps because HTML, JavaScript, and CSS are fun. <laughs> I think they aren't the best part of anybody's day, and no matter how good they can be. And, and so why do people make stuff on the web? And I think it's because of that deployment model. And so we honed in on this idea that you could um, use these small changes, that these, these forward-compatible interventions into the platform. And so um, Anavan Kestrin uh, at Mozilla and uh, Jake Archibald, who eventually joined Google, but at the time was not at Google. Andrew Betts at the Financial Times. Uh, a, a bunch of people at that time had been thinking in this way um, and were sort of the key people who helped us drive uh, both the Web App Manifest specification forward. Um, Marcus Aceras at Mozilla. Uh, and eventually became supporters. So Junkie Song at Samsung and who's now at Microsoft. You know, so from the beginning, 
Uh, it was an industry collaboration, but sort of a ragtag group of people who uh, were not doing anyone's official bidding at any of the companies we worked for, but could see a better way forward. And that kind of collaboration is, is really essential, I think, to making anything on the web platform happen. Um, it's, it's part of the reason why we eventually end up with standards, but part of the reason why we wind up doing so much of this kind of giving this kind of process a, a formal mechanism now with this idea of incubating web standards out in the open and early on uh, and, and trying to bring together folks who aren't just, quote unquote, browser engine people, but people who make websites, people who have the experience of knowing what isn't working and can vet whether or not something works well. Right. I, I think of you know, there were folks at GitHub who were super early on in the service worker design uh, who helped us you know, prototype and then design uh, polyfills for service workers to try to understand, you know, is this going to do what we think it's going to do? Is this going to work out? Uh, Samsung was a huge early supporter of this effort and continues to be really supportive of making this technology work well for all their users across all their platforms. You know, that's the kind of thing where uh, without that kind of broad industry participation, uh, with lots of different perspectives, not just browser engines or browser makers, you wind up making the wrong thing. And I think the history of the platforms that are kind of were web inspired, but came before PWAs tells that story pretty clearly, right? A lot of folks who worked on browsers thinking, well, everybody wants JavaScript, HTML, and CSS, and missing the thing, the, the big inversion in the deployment model being the big deal, right? It wasn't that they aren't smart people, it's that they didn't have all the perspectives in the room. I love how, you, you know, you just basically explain how all of these major players from so many different companies that are so essential when we think about tech, really work together on this concept. That's not really a story I've heard a ton before. This is, is kind of how, how all this stuff works, is that it's a set of individuals who are looking to the left and looking to the right and trying to build a larger community uh, of folks who have uh, problems and need solutions to work together to do it. And then there's this you know, big open question of, are the forums that we build successful for that? Are they open enough? Do they enough people in early enough, you know, how can we avoid, avoid path dependence, you know, while at the same time avoiding fishing expeditions or uh, <laughs> exploratory uh, shots into space that are very expensive and, and can't get us results quickly. So, you know, all those things wind up showing up the doorstep. But the, the key thing is to is to pin our hopes on this idea that um, it's a combination of people who work on browsers, that is to say, who can ship bits that change the world. And people have the experience of what isn't working uh, in the bits they've already got that creates that constituency that can really move things. So thinking about PWA standards moving forward, would you say that a lot of the people that were involved from the beginning and then obviously other people from other companies that have kind of, you know, really jumped on the PWA bandwagon are helping develop what the future of PWA standards look like and how we think about that moving forward? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things um, I also wind up doing with my time, and part of the reason I maybe come back to this is that uh, I'm our, I guess the title is tech lead, uh, but as I say, the person whose responsibility is, even if it's not my fault, <laughs> for things that happen regarding web standards for the Chrome team. And so that, that kind of um, winds up being central to how we think about everything we do, because when we want to make changes to the platform, obviously we don't, we never have and never will own the web platform. Google and Chrome are not, um, you know, the sole purveyor of the bits uh, that implement the web, um, I think, to everyone's benefit. And we never want to be. And so there's a, a key element of health for the platform that has played out over and over again in that diversity. We want people to be able to take the platform and re-implement it however they want, to show a better way, to do a better job. 
uh, while at the same time, we, we have a vested interest in making sure that it continues to progress quickly enough uh, to make meaningful progress in the lives of developers and end users. And so that requires us to work in the open all the time. So there's a, there's a group that we've uh, helped to build and bolster with both Microsoft and Mozilla uh, called the Web Incubation Community Group. And it's one of this set of, set of incubation groups at the W3C whose job it is to sort of take a nascent idea or even just a problem statement and start to chew on it, right? It isn't to say that we know what the answer is. Um, there's, a, there's a real set of anti-patterns that get employed when folks sort of walk into the room thinking they know what the answer is without fully investigating the problem. Uh, so to try to avoid that, we've partnered and collaborated on these incubation groups um, and uh, they are working pretty well. So they um, are now our go-to mechanism for you know helping folks train their attention on problems uh, rather than solutions, and then do the iteration process that's really necessary to get to a deep understanding of the problem space. Um, because until you have that, it's very difficult to, um, to really even begin to design meaningful answers. The way I think about this is, uh, you know, there's, there's lots of standards bodies, you know, there's the what WG, there's the W3C, there's ITF, there's ISO, there's ECMA, and TC39, do JavaScript. And all these standards bodies have a lot of experts in the room, but experts are just, you know, the set of people who've made all the mistakes in an area. <laughs> a standards body, when it gets together, uh, has a lot of people who have a lot of experience, but that's not the same thing as your end users telling you whether or not it's working for them. The standards process doesn't have a fitness function attached to it. It can only tell you whether or not you've dotted the I's correctly and, and crossed all the T's. So acknowledging that means that, that there is a space here for something that's kind of different to a big formal chartered working group. And I think that's the right thing because big chartered formal working groups have a lot of momentum, right? They're designed to crush through a set of residual problems that come from the core of a good design and make sure that you get to something that works for everybody rather than coming up with a good idea that could work if given enough time and enough investment. So there's this front stage of the new feature process for the web that we've started, I think, to get a little bit better at, I hope, and is really critical. So yeah, I think that process um, is something that we, I wouldn't say pioneered, but um, you know, took some notes from the way IETF works and have continued to iterate on over in these other areas in the web platform. And hopefully that has allowed us to participate not just with other browser vendors and with other folks who are quote unquote in the industry, but uh, with web developers who who just want to get engaged and get involved in solving a problem that they specifically uh, and very acutely feel. So I know you mentioned Microsoft. And if you look at, you know, really what Microsoft has done recently with kind of a, almost a little bit of an all-in bet on PWAs, can you talk to me a little bit about kind of just what your thoughts are on that? I'm ecstatic, obviously. Um, Microsoft beat us to desktop PWAs, uh, the Chrome team that is, um, by more than a year. So um, we launched uh, support for installing web apps to uh, the desktop in Chrome OS, uh, Windows, and Linux um, a couple of releases ago. And Microsoft was there last summer. Um, and in fact, they're kind of out ahead still in that you can go find progressive web apps inside the Windows Store. Uh, and so not only have they been a strong technical partner um, in terms of designing these new features and working with us to um, to iterate on the designs and, and you know, test them out and, and figure out whether or not they're going to you know, meet all the needs that everyone has uh, and be implementable in their engine. But also 
they have, you know, really taken the platform aspect of it and kind of run with it in a way that's, um, you know, I, I think a little bit inspiring. Um, I'm, I'm optimistic that that their lead will will uh, be taken by lots of other folks. I should say, uh, Samsung has done, you know, similar work in terms of getting out ahead. Um, you know, they've modified the UI of their browser. Uh, in the same way that Firefox has to to tell users um, in a more ambient way that something is installable. So there are these places where, because the the core of this stuff doesn't have an opinion about the UI or sort of any of these kind of business or platform level things, um, it's open to interpretation. And I think that's that's one of the benefits of this kind of really interesting lack of control uh, that comes from an open standards based platform where folks can figure out what's going to work best, not by sort of agreeing to it in a you know, smoke-filled room proverbially, but by having everyone try stuff out and then seeing what's working best and then um, everyone follows the leader. So speaking of that a little bit, obviously Apple was a little bit, I would say, slower to the PWA game than a lot of other players. What do you... Three to four years behind. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So what do you think, you know, their reluctance to adopt PWAs initially was and why they really haven't honestly caught up to where a lot of the other browsers and operating systems are? So uh, I want to first um, <laughs> speak to my friends and colleagues on the uh, uh, on the WebKit and Safari teams in case they happen to catch this. You know, we see you, we know that that you are um, doing extraordinarily good work. Uh, and that's the background here, right? The, the folks who work on Safari and WebKit are doing extraordinary work. Individually, they are some of the best uh, web platform engineers in the world, if not the best, uh, pound for pound. And the primary issue here is that they are sort of structurally underfunded. I, I can't tell you why a company that on any given Tuesday is is potentially the world's most valuable firm can't find it uh, in its uh, in its budget to build a credibly sized web platform team. Uh, but I can tell you that Apple doesn't uh, have a credibly sized web platform team. They just no matter how good the individuals are, like if you look at the size of the of the web platform team inside of Chrome, obviously I would like it to be much larger than it is, <laughs> but um, you know, there's so much more we can do if we had more more resources. Uh, but then I look at um, both the scale of Mozilla's investment uh, and the scale of Apple's investment, and I, I get a little worried, right? Because uh, it's not healthy for the platform uh, when the folks who are hopefully with us at the at the leading edge um, and helping us push uh, new designs forward aren't able to implement new things uh, in a timely fashion. Now, I will say that there are some very bright spots. Uh, We've been extraordinarily happy with our uh, collaboration with the Safari team, uh, WebKit team on things like web components. You know, they were, um, you know, I think we shipped the web components V1, which is the sort of most recent version of those specs, not too far before they hit uh, Apple's stable branch. And I think they were actually even maybe to their dev channel before we were. So there's there's a lot of, um, there's sort of this discontinuity, um, but that just speaks to um, a lack of, of depth. It's again, it's not that the individuals aren't extraordinary, it's that they aren't, there just aren't enough of them. And so um, when that situation arises, um, it creates kind of a sparse implementation of the platform. And that means that um, every team is going to have to make some sort of a resource trade-off in that, in that environment. And so it's natural, I think, without a lot of strong leadership in some specific area to take a wait and see approach. So that's that's just what I see. I see extraordinary people doing incredible work uh, when they're given the time and space to do it. And the question is really to Apple about why Apple's investment in the web is so poor. That's such an interesting 
take on it because one of the things, you know, I hear at least from more of like a business conversation is, well, does Apple really believe in PWAs? And I think there's a question that, you know, what people talk about sometimes is this idea of, well, maybe they're just so committed to the native mobile app store. That's why they're not fully investing. And I think the way you kind of, your perspective is really completely kind of flips that on its head. It's not really maybe a strategic decision. It's more of a, there's a limited resources for this team and they're kind of doing the best they've got with what they have right now. Well, those could be the same story, right? (laughs) If, If you're organizations at the scale of a, Microsoft or Mozilla or Google or Apple, they make strategic decisions in the form of headcount allocation, right? It's, it's very literally, you know, at some level, you're not making a decision about whether or not you're going to ship this one feature. You're making a decision about whether or not you're going to staff a team to, you know, 100% of its current size, 80% of its current size, 200% of its current size. That's just a, a very subtle thumb on the scale that doesn't have any individual um, actor's name attached to it. But it is it, the consequences are very predictable, and they they play out over the long term. Um, one of the things I think the web community should get better at is kind of looking at these sets of outcomes and trying to attribute them. Right, like it's a deadweight loss. I don't know if that if that phrasing makes sense, but um, the idea that uh, it's still a loss even if something wasn't taken away from you, but it just wasn't other, otherwise would have happened, but didn't happen um, because of some reason that caused it not to. That's the idea of a deadweight loss. You know, there are a lot of these deadweight losses that show up um, on the web platform because uh, various teams decide uh, not to keep the pace. If you haven't realized it already, Alex is kind of like the father of progressive web apps, and he just shared some really great behind-the-scenes stories of how PWAs came to life. I don't think I've heard him share that much detail about who was involved in the initial conversations about the concept of PWAs before. And the best part, this is just the first part of my conversation with Alex, you guys. When you get the opportunity to interview the leader of PWAs from Google, you ask a lot of questions. Trust me. So let's just say there's another episode coming next week. Now, let's dive into my top three takeaways from the first part of my conversation with Alex, and then I'll share with all of you a sneak peek of what you can expect in next week's episode. First, since Google was really the leader in the PWA movement, I've always attributed the concept of PWAs really to them, and I never realized how many other people contributed to that discussion of what eventually became a progressive web app. It was great to hear Alex tell the story of how it all started in London in 2012 and how individuals from various companies like Microsoft, Mozilla, Financial Times, and others really contributed to the concept of what we now call a progressive web app. Next, his comments about how he thought about taking what consumers love about native mobile and bringing that to the web with progressive web apps was really impactful, and it's clear how much of that has really driven what we now refer to as technical requirements for a PWA. And I wonder if that's why you're seeing so many brands, and I'm thinking Starbucks, Pinterest, Trivago, and others that are really doing their first PWA almost as a replica of their native mobile app. And if you look at any of the data on those, you'll see that they're having phenomenal results with their PWA, especially compared to native mobile. Finally, I loved hearing Alex's insights on how other tech players are latching onto the PWA concept. Clearly, if you've paid attention to Microsoft, they're all in on PWAs from a platform perspective. And he shared a different concept about why it took so long for Apple to adopt progressive web apps that I think was really insightful and something I'd never heard before. 
Now, make sure you check out next week's episode where Alex is sharing so much more about progressive web apps, including what Google has planned for PWAs this year, how to determine if a PWA will work for your business, the advice he personally gives when someone's building one for the first time, his favorite PWA example, and how Chrome is thinking about mobile in general. If you enjoyed hearing Alex talk in this episode, trust me, you're going to love next week. See you then. I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit Lumivate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.